There was an idea called the Avengers Initiative. The idea was to bring together a group of remarkable people, see if they could become something more, see if they could work together when we needed them to, to fight the battles that we never could. Phil Coulson died still believing in that idea. And he rose. Well, it's an old-fashioned notion. Hello, I am Randy Andrews, and today Erica Christie and I will discuss the Avengers from 2012. With the release of the Avengers Infinity War, we'll enjoy talking about the original. And we'll discuss the cast, the background, the technical aspects, the comics, and of course, the soundtrack by Alan Silvestri. It's all today on Soundtrack Alley. How are you doing today? I'm not doing too bad. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. Um, so today we're talking about The Avengers from 2012, uh, directed by Joss Whedon. Um, what was your first experience with the characters of The Avengers, and what was your impressions of the actual movie? Uh, I would say my first experience with the characters, um, I had... I only read a few comics growing up, so I was, you know, fairly familiar with most of them. Uh, then I saw, I didn't see all the movies in the MCU prior to this, but I had seen a fair amount of them. So I was pretty much familiar with the characters uh, once once the movie came out. Um, I would say overall, I thought it was a pretty good movie. Um, it was a few things like, you know, like it, this was one of our first experiences of Hawkeye and for like the entire movie he's not really playing his own character so it's just little little things like that that I didn't like but overall I mean I thought it was a fun movie it was exciting there was lots of action um, I thought they did a fairly good job of trying to balance all the different characters they had so we got to get you know a little bit of a personal side and a little bit of a you know a fighting side from everybody and um, overall yeah I thought it was a pretty fun movie movie well that's good that's good um see when i think about the avengers um it actually isn't our first experience with hawkeye because hawkeye made his appearance in the movie thor yep. i said one of the first appearances oh, not the okay. first appearance <laughs> <laughs> sorry and he's um, technically not even credited in thor Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that is very true. Yeah, my first experience with the characters was pretty much... I I didn't really read a ton of Avengers uh, books. 
but when it came to the Avengers versus X-Men storyline where it was like, you know, big battles going on between the Avengers and the X-Men, uh, I started getting into that and I kind of was hooked for a while on the Avengers. So it was pretty cool. Um, but today we're talking about a lot of the, uh, actors and things that portrayed these characters. Uh, I mean, such as Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, uh, Loki, you know, these different characters really are set for certain standards as to what they should be like. Um, one of the things I found kind of funny was when Robert Downey Jr., he would be on set, but he would keep food hidden throughout the set, and apparently nobody knew where he would hide the food. And so they just let him continue doing it. And so in the movie, it's actually his food that he's eating. And it wasn't scripted. He was just hungry. I thought that was great, though. Yeah, he, Like when he offers people blueberries. Yeah, he's a well-known prankster. So I can say I am absolutely not surprised that he would hide food and just randomly bring it out in a scene. That That sounds exactly like something he would do. And it fit his character. I mean, it honestly did. It really fit his character. So uh, one of the, the neat things also is that he even would uh, try to, like, do fake Shakespeare. Like he had said, Doth mother know thou weareth her drapes? When he first met Thor. I thought that was kind of cool. And then... I thought it was interesting that Robert Downey Jr. is the one that asked the Marvel production manager permission to take the letter A that was on the Stark Tower uh, with him, but he declined. And however, on his next birthday, the manager gave it to him as a gift. So that A is now a part of Robert Downey Jr.'s collection. That seems <laughs> rather fitting. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would have to agree. Um, also, when all the crew was in town for the uh, filming of it, they were all at once in town, and Chris Evans had sent them all a, a text message, and it simply said, Assemble. And it prompted a night out on the town, and Clark Gregg had stated that it was his favorite text message he had received <laughs> So I thought that was cool. Oh, uh, I found this really interesting. You know, we were talking about Hawkeye just a little bit. He had Jeremy Renner had actually trained with Olympic archers for the movie. That was kind of cool. Yeah, they usually do a pretty good job, like in the stunts department, uh, getting the right kind of people to work with the actors. So, yeah, him working with Olympic uh, archers is is great for the film, uh, and it's great, you know, to keep everything looking realistic. It's great for the actor, really builds their confidence, um, and it just makes everything look better. So, yeah, that's a, that was a really good idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Then also... The character Hawkeye is ambidextrous, but Jeremy Render or Renner is left-handed. And he had to learn how to like cuz in Thor he's seen shooting right-handed and then both 
left-handed and right-handed in this film. So I thought that was interesting too. <laughs> what do you think of the the whole generated idea of how they kind of initially brought everyone together like in the film? Do you do you think it was uh kind of cool how they had, you know, Samuel L. Jackson's role as Nick Fury kind of bring them together secretly in a way? Um, yeah, I think that's why they brought Nick Fury, uh, Fury into even like the early Iron Man movies, just so they could start plopping him in everywhere, kind of showing the power he had, showing the pull he had, and that he's the one who knows kind of everybody's skills. Um, you know, even Tony Stark, as smart as he is, doesn't really care a whole lot about other people. So he's not really paying attention to that sort of thing. You know, Black Widow was doing her thing. Bruce Banner's trying to hide away. Captain is still, you know, dealing with issues of, you know, being frozen for decades. So Nick Fury is really the one who's kind of pulling all of the strings. Uh, so I actually liked the way that he was kind of one by one getting everybody ready. You know, he's the one who sent Widow to to go get Hulk like he was picking who it is that was going to bring people into the group and yeah I, I thought they did a really good job of of using Nick Fury and using his character to assemble everyone you know in a way that would work for everybody oh yeah and then also I really like the fact that Nick Fury shows up in so many Marvel movies but he also not only did that but he also showed up in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. Like, he showed up at least three times in the TV show, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And usually it was before... I, it was before the whole Hydra um, invasion type thing. So that was kind of kind of neat to see, to, to have, like, this big star, you know, get into a TV episode and have that one uh, cameo. <laughs> so that was kind of cool. Um, there was a sound editor, uh, Christopher Boys. Uh, he had stated that he went through a complicated process to craft the Hulk's voice, and the final product turned out to be a combination of Mark Ruffalo, some Lou Ferrigno, and a bit of himself. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of cool. Um... Yeah, when you're because creating he... sounds from scratch, you use whatever you have to use. So, I mean, ha using Mark <laughs> and Lou are pretty obvious because, you know, Lou has done it for so many years already, and Mark is the one doing the physical performance. And, yeah, as, as sound editors and sound mixers, which I've done a little bit of, if you really just need a noise, like a specific noise right now, it's usually just easier to do it yourself. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm not at all surprised by that. <laughs> it's like, what kind of Foley work can I do? Hmm. <laughs> so uh, another thing I thought that was neat was that Tom Hiddleston had spoke about his role as Loki. And he said, I can tell you that it's all of them against me. And he's the supervillain, and it's Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Captain America, Thor, Hawkeye, Black Widow, Nick Fury, and forming the team. And so uh, he, he just he got to be that, that one brooding evil guy. 
And one of the things that really stands out to me, um, I mean, since we do talk about the score in this episode, uh, one thing that really stands out is when Captain America lands in Germany uh, and Loki is has all those people kneel. And in the score, you can hear his theme as he lands. And I thought that was just a really neat touch from Alan Silvestri, considering he had also composed the movie score to Captain America the First Avenger. So I thought that was cool. Trying to make Loki afraid by seeing Captain America and hearing his theme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was great, though. And, you know, some of the neat things I really liked about it was uh, the exchanges that um, Mark Ruffalo would have as being Bruce Banner because, you know, in a previous Marvel film, we see the Incredible Hulk that Edward Norton had been the Incredible Hulk. And that uh, it was kind of funny because Mark Ruffalo had said, Ed has bequeathed this part to me. I look at it as my generation's Hamlet. <laughs> so one character goes from it and another takes over. So kind of fun. I, I just, I, I, I really like it. And um, it was interesting that both... Eric Bana and Edward Norton had done motion cap capture work for their respective Hulks, but Mark Ruffalo is the first to perform the Hulk live on set as a performance capture, which is also pretty neat because they hadn't done that uh, before, and um, it was just a neat, more real uh, performance with even though the character of the Hulk is a CGI character, they still used the actor as the main source of the action, which is cool. So Yeah, anytime you can get the actual actor to be there on set, standing with the other actors, you're always going to get a much better performance than if another, like a stunt person, does it, or if the actor is doing it by themselves on a green screen away from everybody else. Um, like with uh, with the Hobbit movies, um, Benedict Cumberbatch did, you know, all of Smaug's stuff. And when he was in his mm -hmm. outfit, like, they copied everything. They copied his body movements. They copied his face. Like, anytime you can use the actor's performance right there on set in the middle of everything, it's just going to look so much better. Um uh, not just the CGI, but the actual like emotion and everybody responding to what's happening. So yeah, it was definitely oh, a yeah. good idea, whether it was Joss's call or somebody else's call to have him do it right there, but that was definitely a great idea. I agree. It was interesting, the different people that they had to screen test for um, Maria Hill, um, that it eventually, of course, went to Kobe Smulders, but originally it was going to be Marina Baccarin or Jessica Lewis or Lucas um, or Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And those were just some of the people that uh, got in the running for the role of Maria Hill. So I thought they landed that role pretty good, too, um, when looking at 
I, I just, I like how they kind of fit each character right. Like, you know, of course, Iron Man was already established. Robert Downey Jr. really set the Iron Man persona. And then, you know, all these other actors, they really bring in more for this big production with the Avengers. And it really was pretty awesome to see them all come together. What are your thoughts in regard to uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, references to Thor? Like what he would call him? <laughs> um, all of the funny things that he uh, mentions, the point break and all the other things that he says at Thor. Uh-huh. Um, what I'm curious about is how many of them was him ab-libbing which I think is a lot, and how many were mm-hmm. actually in the script. Because you know, like, <laughs> because the writers know who the character is, I'm sure some of them were in the script. Him, like, just saying mm-hmm. silly things at people. But I'm just super curious to know which ones really were him and which ones were already written. Uh, but yeah, in general, I thought it, I thought it was great. Like, it, it just fit his character so much that, I mean, he is kind of slowly becoming a better guy, kind of looking out for other people and not thinking so much of himself, but he still has that same snarky personality. So it was really nice that they didn't get rid of that, even though, you know, his character arc, he's kind of changing a little bit from film to film, but they definitely kept kept the uh, snarkiness and the jokes and the not taking anything seriously, even if it's a life or death situation. So uh, (laughs) I liked him quite a bit. (laughs) Yeah, I I thought that was really great. Um, Not to be weird about this, but in the final end credit scene, you know, where they're in the shawarma uh, uh, restaurant, I guess Mm -hmm. it would be. It's like a little snack shop um captain america was the only one not eating in the scene and it was because he was wearing a wig for one because he had to get a buzz cut um regarding uh his other movie that he was due to uh be in which was snowpiercer and then he was called in later to do the extra scene And he had to refuse to shave off his beard. And so they gave him a prosthetic jaw. And so he holds his hand over his face because of the prosthetic. And it looked like he had been attacked by a hive of bees. And so I thought it was just kind of unique that they kind of kept things hidden with Captain America at the very end of the Avengers because and of course it's a very short scene so you don't really get a really good look at what he's looking like and you know all your your eye is looking at everyone in the room rather than just him but i want to take a look at that scene again sometime and really look at it and see <laughs> How his hair looks. Yeah, I've stared at that scene a couple times because I knew about that when Snowpiercer 
Piercer was being filmed, that he was called away to do a reshoot for Avengers. So I've seen it quite a few times knowing that he was holding on that faceplant. And the thing that I think is the funniest is that they kind of put him off where you can see his entire face. Um, however, you know, um, Hawkeye, Clint Barton, is right in front of the camera with his back to the camera. So we only see his face oh. momentarily when he looks back over his shoulder at Black Widow and then he looks forward again. So I just kind of laughed to myself, like, why did they put Captain America over where his face is so exposed, where he's desperately trying to hide that he has a full beard when he's not supposed to have a beard, yeah. and yet the person right in front of us. So I thought it was funny. I was like, okay, I apparently want to keep, see Captain Captain America so much. Doesn't matter what his face looks like, but yeah, he, he, he looked, it is a short scene, it's maybe a minute long, but he did look a little uncomfortable trying to keep his fist from moving the plate off of his chin, so it is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was really, really neat. And I'm pretty sure um, that that shawarma line was one of Robert Downey Jr.'s ad-lib. Um, when, yeah, when he was yeah, on his back, so. and so, and it was afterwards yep. that they said, "Hey, maybe we should film in a shawarma restaurant." So that that all happened like after <laughs> the fact. That's pretty awesome, <laughs> though. You know, I mean, all because of him just ad living. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, let's let's go ahead and do that. That sounds fun. <laughs> and Joss Whedon is one of those directors that would be able, you know, that would just go with it because he he seems like that fun loving guy that can be able to put some other references from different films, even in his Avengers movie, which he did. Um, let's, let's get into like some of the background on the, on the movie. Uh, for one thing, I noticed that there, a scene was filmed where during the final battle, Captain America saves an old man trying to protect his grandchild. And he tells him to get to cover but when he walks away, the old man asks him, Cap, is that really you? And he turns and noting the man's World War II veteran lapel pin, he trades a salute. And as the Captain America sprints away, the child asks his grandfather, do you know him? And he replies, we all know him. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, I think it may have been in a deleted scene that that's... Uh, on there i'm not sure though mm-hmm. um and then let's see uh oh joss whedon explained that two of the founding avengers members which was ant-man and wasp were cut from the script because the film had way too many characters already and the screenwriters didn't want ant-man to be in the mcu until his movie was actually released and that made sense um it truly actually made a lot of sense, and I'm glad they waited. So, And if that film has too many characters, what do they say about Infinity War? <laughs> I know, I know. But this was back in 2012, and things hadn't blossomed as much as they have mm. now. I mean, this year alone, with the release of Infinity War today... Um, it's truly exciting to note that there are six Marvel-based movies that are being released this year. So, we already have had Black Panther, Infinity War today, uh, we're getting Ant-Man and Wasp, we're getting um, Venom, 
which is a Marvel property, uh, we're getting New Mutants. And I guess that's only five. Am I missing one? I must be missing one. I thought originally that the X-Men Phoenix was coming out, or Dark Phoenix was mm-hmm. coming out this year, but maybe I'm wrong. But, um, oh, yeah, I already mentioned Ant- Ant-Man and the Wasp. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I maybe I'm missing one. Maybe one of our listeners can actually email in and remind us what that last Marvel movie is supposed <laughs> to be. That would be great. So... Uh, okay, so according to Joss Whedon's commentary, Bruce Banner says to Loki, you smell, you can smell crazy on him. And it was set up for when the Hulk faced off against Loki at Stark Tower. And originally, Loki was going to have multiple versions of himself, and the only way the Hulk was going to discern where Loki was was to smell him. <laughs> and the only real Loki would have a scent. So I thought that was... A unique way of possibly having that brought out. Of course, they didn't do that, so it was certainly different. Um, and then, after Loki is brought on board the helicarrier, Tony Stark can be seen wearing his Black Sabbath T-shirt, and Black Sabbath, of course, is known for Iron Man. And although that song wasn't originally associated with the character, it's been referenced in the comics. And at the end, of of course, of Iron Man, when Tony Stark actually says, I am Iron Man. <laughs> so I thought that was cool. Oh, and one thing that I hadn't noticed before, but like I had watched it this week. Um, when uh, Black Widow and Bruce Banner are blasted from the main floor of the helicarrier and then they're they crash through the floor um it triggers banner's transformation and as he is transforming he's falling from a platform to the floor and on the floor it's painted warning contents under pressure and then the small arrows point directly at banner (laughs) i thought that was kind of a unique little nod there Yep, that, I, that, that's very much a Joss Whedon thing. So either he asked for it or the production designers did it and he said he liked it and they kept it. So, But yeah, that that's like the exact yeah. kind of little silly thing that Joss always puts in. Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, I just, Joss Whedon did a really brilliant job like having all these characters like come together in this film. And, you know, they each had their unique moment uh, in the movie of, you know, having, uh, Hawkeye's moment and Black Widow and, you know, all these other seemingly not so important characters, and yet they have very important roles to play in the movies. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, another thing, Tony Stark tells Bruce Banner that he admires his work on anti-electron collisions. And it's interesting that he brings out when electrons and anti-electrons, which are known as positrons, collide, they annihilate each other and high-energy photons, or gamma rays, are produced in their place. So this was like, you know, of course, the fictional means of how Bruce Banner becomes the Hulk. 
So, fun stuff. I enjoy talking about this stuff. It's so much fun. That seems like uh, Tony making fun of Banner a little more than actually complimenting him. (laughs) Because he kept poking him. You know? Mm. He kept poking him and prodding him with like a little electro stick. And it's like, hey, that, that may not be the best idea. But he seemed to handle it pretty good. Oh, and what did you think of them renaming, like, you know, having this group of aliens that are, you know, coming through the portal named Shatari? Do you think that that had anything to do with the reason why they couldn't have the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, or Silver Surfer, or things like that? in the film? Um, my answer is, I don't know. (laughs) Um, I mean, I know it's, it's all of the issues of copyright and ownership and all of that stuff is the whole fantastic Four, silver surfer, that whole stuff. Um, I don't know if that connects actually with the, uh, Shatari name, if that's why they had to change it or if they just wanted to go with something else that I don't know. Well, see the Shatari, are supposed to be basically the scrolls, and the scrolls were a um, like they could change shape, and so they could uh, disguise themselves as humans, and so they couldn't use the scroll name because it was associated with the Fantastic Four. It was associated with that side of things, and so. They had to change the name of the characters, the aliens, to be the Shatari, uh, to make it to where it's its own own thing. However, they are still that kind of alien race that are uh, invading. So, And that could also be a nod to the audience as well, that the audience knows that it's really the crawls that are hidden as something else, but the characters don't. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, they could they yeah. could use that as well and then just hope that, you know, some amount of years down the line, if rights come back to them, they can finally say, oh, by the way, it was the crawls and they were in disguise the whole time. So, it's <laughs> it, yeah, it could just be also, a, you know, a thing that they couldn't use the name and that they just want to because they know so much of their audience, such a big percent of the audi- audience uh, knows that that's going to be the crawls that are just, you know, disguised as something else. So, yeah, it's yeah. just another little Easter egg that if you know enough of what's going on and you know the issues with copyright stuff behind the scenes. So, yeah, could certainly be that as well. Oh, yeah. And later in my notes, I noticed that the Shatari did actually appear in the first story arc of the Ultimates, which is the alternate universe retelling of the origins of the Marvel superheroes, where you get the Black Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. So oh, interesting, because otherwise, Nick Fury is in the regular Marvel U uh, back in the seventies and eighties. He was white. Mm-hmm. He had dark black hair and uh, like white sideburns kind of like Mr. Fantastic and he smoked a cigar (laughs) (laughs) so definitely different Uh, but I really like how you know how they they altered some things changed costuming I think uh, Captain America's costume was 
was pretty spot on. Um, I kind of tend to like his costume that he had when he was in the first Avenger um, back in World War II, uh, rather than the new outfit that he had in this movie, but I still enjoyed it. So, did did any of the outfits um, have an impact on you, or... Did you like any of the new twists they did on some of the outfits? Um, I didn't read enough of the comics to like really notice if something was like really obviously different. Um, but whenever I'm online and, you know, like you just mentioned Captain America's outfits, like I've seen a lot of, you know, images that'll show like all five or six of his variations. Uh, you know, this was him in this year, this was him in this year. So, uh, you know, as a filmmaker, as a occasional costume designer, I actually really like seeing that sort of thing. You can kind of see the progression of, you know, when the, if the movie was made in 2009, like what their interpretation of, uh, you know, an outfit is. And then you see it, you know, however many years later and they kind of update it and it looks a little bit different. So I enjoy that quite a bit. Um, but as I said, I, I didn't read enough comics to like really notice. Like I can't look oh, at the yeah. outfit and go, oh, that's from and like name <laughs> the series. Like I don't know it that well. Um, but I mean, anytime I can see them and kind of, you know, take them apart and or especially with, you know, Black Panther's outfit, like all the different designs mm-hmm. and all the different things they put into it. I mean, some of the outfits are just amazing, um, both on the design level um, and on like the idea behind, you know, why they did some of the things that they did with the costuming. Oh, yeah, definitely. And Black Panther would be another whole entire episode to be able to talk about because that movie is so amazing Mm -hmm. and um some of the costuming in it is just fantastic and speaking of costuming speaking of captain america uh when they first originally made a movie about captain america it was back in the 80s well the guy that actually played captain america he's actually going to be at Krypton Comics in Omaha, Nebraska on free comic book day. So that's kind of cool. That's awesome. I just don't remember his name. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have that in my notes because it's older. So yeah, I can't think what his name is either. Yeah. And this, of course, this had concluded the phase one of the Marvel cinematic universe. And uh, I thought it was interesting also that, you know, with the the character Phil Coulson, you know, everybody believes that he dies uh, in this movie. And yet in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we know he lives. <laughs> <laughs> and yet he's never seen by anyone else, like any major um, character of the Marvel U except Nick Fury Mm -hmm. because Nick Fury is the only one that knows that he, you know, he's the one that brought him Mm -hmm. back. Yeah. And there's a lot of crazy fan theories right now on how the Avengers are going to respond. Cause it's, I think it's, pretty obvious that Coulson is going to be at least some little bit in Infinity War mm-hmm. and the just fans are going crazy as to how they're going to respond once they find out that Coulson's been alive for years and Fury again <laughs> has been keeping secrets and didn't tell them <laughs> yeah. 
That's true. That's true. But I think with this movie, it's a whole nother ball game. You know, I, I bet it'll be kind of a, a small little nod and they'll get kind of a like, <gasps> and it's, he's alive. And, uh, they won't really touch on it a ton because they have their big bad to be able to deal mm -hmm. with. They have Thanos. Mm -hmm. So that is very true. Um, so the term, the Avengers, um, many people have different aspects as to what that is, but, uh, according to the notes that I have, it says an Avenger is a person who seeks revenge upon those who have wronged them or others. And it's interesting because Tony Stark twisted it and changed it to be, well, we're going to avenge Phil Coulson. <laughs> So I thought that was an interesting way of twisting that. So I thought that was pretty good. Um, and then, let's see, the character known as The Other, which I don't think we ever get him named in the movie, but I guess he's in the credits as The Other. Um, he's talking in the credits to Thanos. And, of course, that's the major supervillain. And he's a cosmic mass murderer who is literally in love with the personification of death, which is why he's smiling at the phrase to court death. And it's true. Thanos is mad and crazy because he actually thinks he's talking to death. So I'm sure we'll actually get to see more of that with uh, Infinity War. And that, of course, I can't help it. It's so exciting that it's today. So, pretty fun. You going to be in the theater tonight? Um, no, probably no? not tonight. All right. It's probably a little late. So, how are you um, going to stay spoiler free then? Oh, I just I can do that because I can reference the comics, and that's staying spoiler free because. The movies have gone a totally different direction. I mean, you look at look at some of the um, well, just going off on a tangent because you look at the way the movies have changed, and even adding in characters and the trailers even show you like the war of the the alien race that is coming on this large field and the Avengers and the Wakandans pretty much are racing to meet them and then you get um, characters that are in Infinity War that are actually introduced first in the comic uh, series like it's a it's a trade called Infinity and Thanos isn't really looking for the stones in that. He's actually trying to locate his son, Thane. And um, he has five generals. And I believe that all five are going to be introduced into Infinity War. Because even in one of the trailers, you see a character known as the Ebony Maw. And he's like... A manipulator he'll he'll take a, a a person and manipulate them to even be against Thanos 
and only work for himself. And it's a really interesting character in a way because in the comics, uh, spoiler alert, in the comics, Ebony Maw uh, turns Thane against his own father. So it's actually interesting because Thane has the ability to... um, put somebody into a living death like they're alive but they're dead so it's a really interesting storyline and it's interesting to look back on the history of that whole process of how Thanos searched for the infinity stones how uh, the characters in the infinity gauntlet have altered things and how we look back at even this movie of the Avengers and how so many of those aspects have been set up for Infinity War and how you see so many I mean it's 18 movies in all before Infinity War and it's like that's a ton of movies Mm -hmm. to really like introduce all these characters and get all these people to be in this film and I'm just super excited about it and it just it really makes me happy to see that not only are we enjoying looking back at the Avengers but we're also looking forward to Infinity War because dun 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 they have the same composer so <laughs> I'm really excited about that because Alan Silvestri, I mean, he did Captain America, the first Avenger. He did the Avengers. Um, he didn't have anything to do with the Avengers Age of Ultron, but he's coming back to do Infinity War and then whatever the Avengers part two film is mm-hmm. that takes place right after this yeah, that they're one. They're calling it what untitled number four, I think is what they're calling it at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's kinda odd because I don't know why they just don't call it Infinity War Part Two. Well what I read is that that movie is just absolutely completely different from the first part. And they thought that calling them part one and part two when the movies were so different in tone and like everything about them was so different that it it was actually confusing to the audience. So that's why they just said Infinity War and then they're going to give the next one a new name. Um, but yeah, I think they're not they're not announcing that name until Infinity War comes out because it's some kind of a spoiler Again, rumors, but oh. it's some kind of whatever the name yeah. is, is a spoiler. So they want as many people oh, as possible okay. to see Infinity War before you see what the next Avengers movie is called. I'm going to so. have to see that. <laughs> like I said, though, you're, you're going to have to avoid spoilers if you're not going to see it tonight. Yeah, that's true. I know. Uh, but it is really exciting. Um, I'm, I'm actually really excited for the score. I haven't heard the score yet. Um, but having Alan Silvestri come back, uh, even with, um, doing the score to the Avengers, how, uh, the main theme for the Avengers is in the closing credits. And, um, it's like this really upbeat, like powerful, 
uh, theme that he uses, and it's really classic Silvestri. And it's determined by rhythms and moderately like brass fanfares, and it clearly marks this these main characters as um, super buddies. And a majority of tracks on the score really highlight that and give it like an increased personality to the score to where you can actually enjoy the score without actually seeing the movie. Um, what are your overall thoughts on the score for this film? Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, uh, you and I haven't done like a really traditional score in a while, so it was kind of interesting. We've been doing very interesting sci-fi films, so it's not a traditional score uh, until this one. And it was kind of enjoyable kind of getting back into you know something that's more like this. Um, I lo- really like the Avengers theme. Um, and I think the thing that I like the most about it is that it's it's not super slick. It's not mm-hmm. super like outrageous and out there. Um, and that's kind of what the Avengers are. They're just kind of, you know, a hodgepodge group of people that were all have, you know, really amazing skills in one way or the other, but they were all kind of thrown together. So I, I like that it's fun and that it's exciting and that it's, you know, it kind of, you know, big and brassy, but it's not, it's not the same as a lot of other like big and brassy traditional type themes. It's kind of got a little bit of, uh, you know, some minor chords here and there, and it kind of has an interesting rhythm. And I, I enjoyed that it was going big, but that it wasn't, wasn't copying a lot of other themes that you tend to hear. Yeah, I agree. Um, I've I've read multiple different reviews on this score, on the Avengers score, and uh, some people really don't like it. They they think that it's bland and it's uh, you know underrated, and it isn't. I think it's recognizable. Um, there are some very clear. Uh, themes that Alan Silvestri uses in the movie to where you can recognize, ah, there's Captain America's theme. Because he just gently slides it in, just briefly, but it's really uh, cool to see that. And um, with more recent films that even Silvestri has done, such as Ready Player One, I mean, that score was really brilliant and he brought in a lot of extra themes that he just slid in there that uh were very um reminiscent of Zemeckis and some other themes that he included so if anyone wants to know more about that uh check out the soundcast um they had an episode regarding Ready Player One so But that's for another podcast. (laughs) So today I'll play a few cues from the score. Uh, First I'll be playing Arrival, uh, Doors Open from Both Sides, and Start Goes Green. I really like how Silvestri uh, really makes the scene come alive, even in its subtlety. And it's a really clever use of it. Erica, what do you think? Uh, yeah, throughout most of his tracks, I really like how 
how he builds in like tension and drama. Um, he's really good at, you know, loud, quiet, loud, quiet. And you just, you just kind of go along for the ride because he's doing all this dramatic stuff. Um, a lot of strings in all these tracks. And I, I really mm-hmm. like those. And uh, by the time like Start Goes Green comes around and you've heard a few songs from, from this particular score, um, he has this really interesting way of finding like ominous notes and ominous chords and kind of coming in on those and then they grow and grow and grow and then the song starts. Um, so it was, it was by that track that I noticed that he kind of does that fairly often throughout this particular score. Just kind of comes in quietly, finds a chord, and then it just kind of you're on a roller coaster ride from that point forward. Um, and yeah, it was just, it's just kind of a really fun way of like gradually moving into the song. Yeah, I really like that too. So now let's play those cues.
So next, I'll be playing Helicarrier, uh, Don't Take My Stuff, Red Ledger, and Assault. I also love in these cues how Silvestri amps up the action for, say, the next phase of the film. How we get these low-key moments of how <laughs> the character Loki pits our characters against one another. And Silvestri really composes some very complex writing for this this score. Um, despite some of the negative thoughts that I've read on the score. Um, but I really like this and I like how uh, it's essential as the movies have progressed over time. What do you think of these? Uh, yeah, for Helicaria carrier i really really liked that the brass sounded like crashing waves and he did that throughout the entire track and every time it would happen like the track came on and i wasn't paying attention to which track i was on and i kept thinking i feel like i'm listening to the ocean and then i realized it was the helicarrier track and i was like that's fantastic so yeah the brass just just really amazing the swells and the waves and i just i love that whole track especially the brass um, the Red Ledger track, I when I first heard it, I thought that Silvestri had thrown in like some crazy synthesizer stuff. Like there's some like sound effects and some weird noises going on, and I had to really stop and listen and realize that there, unless and I didn't find anything anywhere that said he used synthesizer. So I think it really was just him using instruments. And it was all stuff taking place on the helicarrier. And I really enjoyed his use of real instruments to, to make weird sound effects. And like, cause you're in, you know, Banner's lab in a lot of that time or like out on the bridge mm -hmm. and you're just hearing all these weird things going around you and beeping and strange sound effects and technology sounds. And the movie is so filled with technology from, you know, everything that Stark does to being on the helicarrier to, you know, the the Tesseract to Banner and Gamma Rays. Like, everything is just so tech-heavy, and he just does this really amazing thing with just regular instruments making all these weird sound effects and tech sounds throughout that whole track. So he, he got me good. I really thought that he was throwing in synthesizers, <laughs> and I was like, I don't think he is. I think, like, he just really did a good job with the instruments. So, yeah, I enjoyed that one a lot. Yeah, so, so now let's play those.
So sadly, we've come down to another end of Soundtrack Alley. I'd like to thank Alexander Shebel for composing Soundtrack Alley's theme music. Lastly today, I'd like to play Assemble, A Little Help, One Way Trip, A Promise, and The Avengers Theme. Now these cues can really excite the audience as they experience this team-oriented film. And I really (laughs) enjoy these themes tremendously because I've actually listened to them several times since watching the movie. Uh, what do you think of them, Erica? Uh, yeah, I, I liked all of these tracks. Um, you know, like A Little Help has a lot. It's kind of an abrasive banging beginning and it's very brooding. And then it just kind of crescendos into this big, huge fanfare. So I, I enjoyed how he was kind of because the whole movie is, is very funny. There's always these humorous moments. So he was really kind of playing with tone and texture throughout that track. And uh, throughout most of these tracks, but especially on Assembly, I really like big symbol crashes <laughs> so um there's a lot of really big symbol crashes exactly so those, those kept my attention the whole time and i just kind of sat there with a idiotic grin on my face thinking i really like symbol crashes so yeah yeah i i really enjoy um one-way trip because it it makes you feel the cosmic view of the score uh, because you get taken through that wormhole and into space, like literally into another part of space. And you get to see that warhead go and destroy this giant ship. And it it's really works on your emotions and works on like that energy that uh, Sylvester really uses. I, I just... I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, on that track, my notes say it has a nice thinking feel to it. <laughs> so that is literally that's literally <laughs> what I wrote down. <laughs> um, so yeah, like you said, you know, you know, start going into whether it's a different dimension or a different part of the universe, but and you kind of you get this tiny little moment where you think, wow, Tony's actually going to take something serious, and he realizes there's a good chance he just sacrificed himself to save not just his friends, but the planet. And you just kind of get this, you know, poignant moment of him seeing, you know, the nuke going off and the alien invasion force and him not knowing if he's going to get back. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of like, not to get too far off the subject, but with a lot of classic Marvel uh, comics that deal with cosmic uh, issues, like... Back in the 80s, they were very text-heavy. Like, a lot of the comics for Marvel were very text-heavy when it dealt with cosmic things because they were trying to either invent words or use words that were so unfamiliar to many of their reading audience that they would almost have to explain these large words that are very cosmic-meaning And uh, it's just, you know, it's a very thinking piece because, you know, you have to think about these words. You have to think about the scope, the grandeur and the excitement of, you know, what's going on in the scene. So, yeah, I, I really like that. So 
Uh, Erica, where can people find you? Ooh, I am all over the place. But the most efficient way to find me would be my website, which is ericachristie.com. That is E-R-I-K-A-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E.com. All right. So I have to ask, have you gotten any new pings from your website uh, with people listening to the show? I probably have, but I have been traveling a lot the last couple of weeks, ah. so I couldn't tell you numbers off the top of my head. But hopefully, yes, because I love all of you out there. <laughs> all right. So I can be found on many social media locations, uh, mainly on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Podbean. I'm at Randall Andrews one on Twitter. Um, all those links will be in the show notes. I always include yours. And um, please, if you like the show, email me, uh, soundtrackalley at yahoo.com, or even leave a review or rating on iTunes. So until next time, happy listening.
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley, the podcast. I hope you take the time to review my podcast on iTunes or even listen to it on Podbean. With your review, it helps me get noticed on iTunes. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at soundtrackalley.com.